is the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. Hello again and welcome to the show. Coming up, the Bureau says it's been exceptionally hard to forecast the weather this summer with multiple influences coming into play and it's been wet in uh, some parts of the Western Riverina as the storms have dumped between 50 and 100 millimetres and 150 millimetres of rain. Yeah, we've probably had 130-odd mils in the last fortnight. Certainly for the corn, the stage we're at now, we're at... Uh um, cob filling now, so yeah, it's, we're we're over we're over the flowering period, which is hot, wet, hot, uh, windy weather could impact that. So yeah, no, it's probably ideal for the corn, the cotton. We'd like to see some, you know, some summer, sunny, warm weather, but hopefully that'll come. And we'd like to hear from you about uh, the rainfall you've been continuing to see at your place, maybe. Send us a text, 0467 922 or maybe you've been missing out. We'd still like to hear from you about what's been happening weather-wise, 0467 922 Lots of texts coming through on the program yesterday, so I couldn't get to all of them. Hopefully we'll get to a few more today. Well, let's stay, stay with the issue of the weather. And uh, when the Bureau of Meteorology declared an El Nino event in September, there were warnings of a hot, dry summer. So why has this summer been so wet? Climate experts say it's a combination of misconceptions about El Nino and several climate drivers that, all combined together, are contributing to wetter conditions. Dr Carl Braganza is the National Manager of Climate Services at the Bureau of meteorology he says forecasting this year has been extremely tricky yeah it's certainly been a really interesting year um we started out you know still with low ninja like conditions um from the last three years um and then we had really from about april um indications that an El Nino event was spinning up in the pacific which normally means quite a hot and dry spring and, and winter time um for eastern australia and we also had a positive Indian Ocean dipole, which is another thing that favours dry conditions over southeast Australia. Um, and that's actually certainly what we saw from August through... Yeah, we saw that, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, so August through to October, surprisingly, was the driest three-month period of any three months on record. And uh, September was the driest September and the second driest month of any month ever recorded. So um, we declared El Nino sort of at the end of September. And, you know, typically... While our seasonal forecasts were saying that there was a chance of rain in the east over summer, um, certainly if you were preparing for um, emergency services and others for the summer period, you know, looking from, from October and September time, um, it looked like, yeah, it would have been prudent um, to expect at least, you know, dryish conditions to continue on the back of that very dry spring and an El Nino. Um, but what's happened has certainly been surprising to everyone, particularly in the southeast. Um, I think the rainfall has been patchy. Um, in other parts of the country, and it's been very dry for the northern monsoon, particularly once you get away from far north Queensland. Um, but it's quite unusual to get very regular rainfall and such sort of extended humid, humid conditions into Victoria and, and New South Wales during um, an El Nino period. And, of course, we saw the, the big bushfires, bushfires in mid-north coast, around Tenterfield as well, uh, in the Pilliga, you know, in the lead-up, and then, it just, then the tap turned on and it just started to bucket down. Yeah, it's been a real mixed bag. So we've seen, you know, fire weather, um, heat waves, uh, tropical cyclones come through, and then we've had these really tropical rainfall events um, extending further far south. And 
yeah, that sort of rain is normally associated with a La Nina event when it sort of continues on and on like that. But yeah, to get it during an El Nina is quite unusual. And so, what is is it just a freak, uh, you know, or is it climate change? Is, you know, why is what's happening here? Yeah, I think it'll take us some time to work out exactly what is pushed and pulled the climate system. Actually, the combination of unusual factors is pointing to some of the causes. So, what we've had is an El Nino event um, and a delayed monsoon and what's called a very positive southern annular mode. So the winds around Antarctica have contracted further south towards the Antarctic continent, and that fact is really unusual during an El Nino with a delayed monsoon. It's more typical of what you'd see during a Nino year. And when um, the southern annular mode does that, it tends to direct southeasterly moisture um, from the Tasman Sea um, over New South Wales and Victoria. And the Tasman Sea has been really warm. It's been up to six degrees above average. So that's pretty much where the source of the moisture is coming from. Um, and we're getting a circulation pattern um, that's favouring that that's quite unusual during an El Nino event. Yeah, and that's what happened, I gather, when we got the uh, 400 millimetres in one day in the mid-north coast and north coast. And I gather, you know, those that sort of unusual pattern is feeding into, uh, you know, the continued rain in Victoria. Yeah, correct. And normally El Nino has less of an influence over the summer months. It tends to have its um, biggest impacts on eastern Australia over winter and spring. Um, so it's not unusual to get one or two you know, heavy rainfall events and even flooding events over summer during El Nino and to have the sequence of rain you know, coming back again with that extended sort of re- really humid, sticky conditions is, is quite unusual. And, um, yeah, so this week we've got rainfall um, very high in, in the Goulburn Valley in Victoria, but extending all the way up, uh, you know, more than half of New South Wales covered by rainfall, daily rainfall totals in the top 3% of, of high high daily rainfall mm. totals ever recorded and right. extending just over the border into Queensland. So um, it'll be a very interesting year for some of the researchers to look at. And I guess, I gather, I've heard some forecasters are saying we're likely to slip back into the El Nino hotter and drier in for the next three months. So the forecast is looking like, particularly for the for the top end, um, it's going to you know continue that the, the monsoon is late in arriving. So um, if you're sitting sort of in the northwest there, it certainly doesn't look like it's been raining. Um, and yeah, we're expecting predominantly those dry conditions to continue. Obviously, if we get a tropical cyclone like Jasper coming through, that messes up our forecasts. Um, but for the southeast, um, the models are continuing to say there's a decent chance of rainfall um, over the next several months. Right, okay, so that's flipped around then. The, the forecast models pretty much from spring were suggesting that um, for December and January there was a chance of rainfall. Um, it's just because we had such a dry spring and, you know, when you're informing the emergency services, you're thinking, well, you know, if it does rain, it's unlikely to be really heavy continuous rainfall. That might just, you know, fuel some grass growth. And if it dries out again, you know, we're still with high fire danger. Um, but the regularity of the rainfall is what's flipped. And I guess so. What we're seeing is the moisture feeding in, excess moisture feeding in. You just need a couple of things to go wrong, I suppose, to order hold it up, and then you'll see. Then you could see those massive totals again. Yeah, look, certainly with the um, sea surface temperatures off the east coast really high, that's and and sort of projected to to stay high for the remainder of summer. That's that's that source of moisture that has the potential to bring heavy rainfall if we get the right weather systems coming through. You know, we had very warm sea surface temperatures off the Tasman in 2015 um, during an El Nino, but we just didn't get the circulation patterns that brought rainfall, so it was a more typical El Nino year. Um, but, yeah, this year's been um, quite unusual.
Mm. So, and and, and are we going to slip back into La Nina then? Is that what it's? Is that with all this um, rainfall and moisture? Yeah, it's very. I know there's um, certain sort of forecast providers will. Yeah, they've been saying it. Yeah, happening in autumn. Um, there's a bit of a predictability barrier um, for El Nino and La Nina. Once you get through the autumn period, the Pacific kind of resets itself. Um, we're getting better at predicting through that barrier, but yeah, we'd be loath to sort of project what's going to happen next spring for El Nino. Um, that's something that we look at at the end of autumn. Because, mm, uh, yeah, obviously spring is when people are planting crops, but it sounds like there'll be plenty of subsoil moisture if you're saying it's probably going to be wetter than average. Okay, and that's something leading into this summer that we were really quite clear on is the water storages were good and the soil moisture was relatively okay compared to, say, 2019 when we had two, three years of really severe drought in New South Wales. Um, we were going into this summer um, on the back of some years of decent rainfall. So, And look, in Australia, the rain can be quite an inconvenience, but it's normally a dry continent, so you know we'll take the rainfall when it falls. Um, but, yeah, it has caused quite a bit of... Um, impacts this time we are looking at uh, more moisture rather than less and and uh, and cooler weathers rather than hotter uh, no the temperatures are still looking at as above average right so um, yeah and we've certainly seen um, when it's not raining um, that the temperatures have taken off we've got some extremes particularly in inland regions um, and even in places where it has been raining um, raining we haven't had the extreme temperatures but you know daytime and nighttime temperatures have been quite warm um, so yeah, but and and of course it depends where you are. But for New South Wales, yeah, we've got sort of neutral odds to odds just favouring maybe um, some rainfall over, over the rest of the summer. And I mean, even though it was quite cool at the end of the year, twenty twenty three was I think the eighth warmest uh, year on record for New South Wales, something like that, and the warmest in the world. Yeah, look, those global ocean temperatures have been really sitting quite remarkable records since April and I think that's part of the story when we go back and look at what's happened in 2023. Um, we were very late in declaring El Nino. Some of the agencies went before us but we were noting that the event wasn't really developing in a classical way. The atmosphere was really struggling to respond to um, the changes in the Pacific Ocean and so it's proved as summer's gone on it really hasn't kicked on to be a very strong El Nino event in terms of its impacts on Australia. And these days our guidance really comes less from what's El Nino or La Nina doing and what's our forecast model doing. So our forecast model is the one that's saying um, dry for large parts of the north and west, um, but chances of rainfall coming into um, the southeast, New South Wales, Victoria, um, Tasmania. Dr Carl Braganza is the National Manager of Climate Services at the Bureau of Meteorology and the uh, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has today announced that Australia is considering setting up a disaster relief force to help relieve a defence force that has been overstretched by regular natural disasters in recent years. And getting a few texts on the uh, on the weather issue, and uh, David Trundle's texted in again today. He said uh, he's uh, got a total of 82.5 millimetres yesterday to bring it up to 137 millimetres so far for January. Uh, he says, bring it on. And uh, Don from Dubbo says, I've had their good f- first good fall yesterday of 44 millimetres. This has been the first rain to run water for farm stock dams. He says, I hope these are, those that are still missing out get some good good falls pretty soon. Bernie at Binaway says uh, that I seem to be sticking out for the bomb. He says, they've got the weather so wrong this year. He says, north of Moree, they've double crop. They've got wheat and now sorghum. He says, uh, I bet they never listened to the bomb's weather reports. Uh, and he thinks someone should be held accountable for all this. 
and um, uh, Floyd says the bomb should st- stop looking at models and learn how to read the weather and all the factors like the independent forecasters who correctly predicted the 2023 weather before it occurred. And uh, there's a whole bunch of other texts coming through as well. It's 17 minutes past 12 on the country hour. Well, it's wet in some parts of the western Riverina as storms have dumped between 50 and 150 millimetres of rain. Peter Booth is growing maize and cotton on his farm southwest of Griffith. He told Emily Doak that the rain has been a timely boost for the crops, reducing the need for irrigation. Yeah, we've probably had 130-odd mils in the last fortnight. We did have quite a few storms in November. There was a bit of a lull through December. Fortunately, we were able to get a, a, a bit of weed off. Yeah, so in, in the last fortnight, 130 mils, yeah. So is it getting a little bit wet underfoot? No, it's not too bad. Yeah, we have got a... We're draining a fair bit of water uh, at the moment. We've got a few pumps going, but, yeah, we're fortunate that, you know, the Bureau predicted a rain coming, so we didn't get in and irrigate. It is wet, but at this time of year, it doesn't take long to dry out. And what does it mean in terms of those cotton and maize crops? Does it just mean that you don't need to irrigate because you're getting it through the rain? Yes, uh, it certainly saves on water. Yeah, certainly for the corn, the stage we're at now, we're at uh, um, cob filling now. So, yeah, we're we're over over the flowering period, which is hot, hot, uh, windy weather could impact that. So, yeah, no, it's probably ideal for the corn. The cotton, we'd like to see some, you know, some sunny, warm weather, but hopefully that'll come. And what will you do with the water that you've been able to save uh, through not having to irrigate? Uh, we'll just carry that over and and store that water. We will, if it stays dry, we will we'll use it in in autumn for sure. Yeah. And uh, from what I understand, the rain's been pretty patchy in terms of how people have been impacted. Yeah, well, last week uh, we had 28 mils here last week and four kilometres away had 52 mils. Uh, it's just all storm rain. Uh, even even November rain, I had 50 mils in about 15 minutes and three kilometres away there wasn't any rain at all. So this rain seems a little bit more general. Uh, there's, most people are 30 and 40 and above um, over a much wider, wider area, yeah. And so just generally, how do you think this sort of weather's being received by other farmers in the district? Oh, I'd say the, uh, people would be quite accepting of it. It does create a few issues with uh, summer weeds, um, but for dryland croppers, it's moisture in the ground. Uh, uh, rice growers, it's probably fine. But, uh, this is the time of year they build their water up, uh, so it's helped them. So, yeah, I'd say most people are happy. I think most of us are winter crop harvesters also. I don't think there'd be any complaints. Peter Booth from near Griffith. The ABC listeners have reported uh, 16 millimetres at uh, Wanganella, 75 at Lake Cajelago, 65 at Griffith, 150 millimetres at uh, Tullabajil, 70 at West Wyalong, 35 millimetres near Tamora, 38 at uh, Illabo, near Juni. And which is near Juni, and more than 40 millimetres near Batlow. And uh, there's also been some reports of 159 millimetres of rain uh, in and around Burke. It's 20 minutes past 12. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. 
Still with the weather and the rain into the far north coast where a cow appears to have been stranded on a private island in the Tweed, Tweed River since February since the tw- February 22 floods. The 5. Uh, 5.67 hectare Chindera Island, zoned RU2 near Chindera, sold just prior to the 2022 floods for $2.8 million. Local commercial fisherman, fisherman Nathan Hall told Kim Hernan he, that he first spotted the brown cow two weeks after the 2022 disaster, nearly 22 months ago. He says uh, the cow has now been joined by a black bull. And I've stopped and seen it and uh, visited it over the time to now. But, um, yeah, seeing the black bull a few days ago was um, a bit of a shock to me. So that was the first time you've spotted the bull there? Yeah, it is, yeah. Do you reckon it's washed up with the, the recent floods? Well, looking at the water level that came with the flood recently, I, I doubt it. And I've put the ad on social media for people that have lost stuff. And um, you might have seen the uh, guy, Neil, who... I found his water troughs 35 kilometres downstream from his property, but, yeah, no-one's come forward with any missing cattle or bulls. Surprisingly, they're both um, in good condition. And when you spotted the the brown cow, which has a a white face, when you spotted it almost a couple of years ago now, did you report it to anyone? I was on the phone a lot to various departments, telling them where the deceased animals were, and, you know, with my job in the river, I spent a lot of time there fishing. I, I did mention it too. I did speak with people from the council and um, I think DPI as well, but I can't quite remember the, the exact people I spoke with. And did you try and get the cow off at all? Was there any way that you could have tried to rescue it? it was is it? Well, I, I've spoken to a friend of mine and um, she's got property further up the river at Tobolgum and, um, yeah, she was always keen, but it's um, my lack of knowledge and experience with cattle and getting somebody to, I guess, sort of tie it up or whatever to get it. I've got a boat that could probably take the weight of it, but, um, yeah, the manpower and then transporting it once it got onto the mainland would be something, um, you know, that I'd need help with. Are you surprised that it's lasted so long, that it's still alive? Yeah, well, looking at the the island that's living on, there's only very, very small amount of grass area, the rest is all mangroves and mud that, and it's not really the sort of grass that I'm used to seeing in paddocks that the cows and stuff living. Are you aware if there's any fresh water on the island? Oh, there's definitely no fresh running water. But, uh, I don't know, probably the last six months at least, I got three 20 litre drums and I've just been like, every time I go down that way in the boat, uh, I, I stop and um, yeah, I've weighed 60 litres of water into a, like a half drum thing that I found there, so uh, they, they definitely get into that and when I saw them the other day the, the flood waters, the water was still very fresh and they were drinking it straight from the river and they basically they come within six feet of the boat like they wanted to hop in with them. There is a bridge that connects the island to the mainland but um, there's quite a few planks on that bridge that are missing so no way a cow could get across it? Absolutely not, no, there's I wouldn't even call it a bridge. It's basically concrete foundations that would hold a bridge up and you know, uh frames that the timber slope would go on, but there's only about a third of the timber slope there. And it'd be like um, me or you trying to walk on a power line, I think, for a cow to walk across it. And what do you think should be done about this cow and bull on the island, Nathan? Oh, I, I think they deserve to 
to be brought back to the mainland and uh, treated humanely and uh, given the respect that any, any animal should get. Um, I understand that, you know, they're to go on people's tables in the end, but to be left there uh, on their own knowing that there's no water or anything bad, like a proper feed for them, it's, um, it's pretty cruel. Nathan Hall is a commercial fisherman from Tweed Heads. A spokesperson for the Tweed Shire Council says Chindra Island and the lo- nearby local Dodds Island are both privately owned. And the welfare of these animals is the responsibility of relevant owners. Any concerns for the condition of the, these animals and their surrounds should be directed to the RSPCA. The New South Wales Department of Primary Industries has also been contacted for comment. Comment, And we're also trying to locate both the owner of uh, Chindera Island and the stranded bull and uh, cow, uh, the owners of them, to f- uh, get some comment from them as well. It's uh, 25 minutes past 12 here on the Country Hour. G'day, I'm Nick Grimm. Join me for the world today. New data confirms what tenants around the country already know all too well, with the cost of renting a home continuing to surge by double-digit figures. Financial watchdogs, overwhelmed by a tidal wave of consumer complaints about banking scams and problems with accounts, and is it all in the eye of the beholder? Australian artworks to be showcased in the rarefied atmosphere of the moon. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. And here on the country, our strong wiener sales in the southeast of Australia. It's seen the cattle market kick off the new year with higher prices and a bit of optimism. However, market analysts are looking at the year ahead and they say slow demand from global markets will be the issue. Meat and Livestock Analyst with Global Agri-Trends, Simon Quilty, spoke to Annie Brown about the cattle market outlook for 2024. The end of last year, the last week of December, so many of the markets actually fell quite dramatically in that last week. And that was simply because of, you know, meatworks closing down. They had no interest in buying and feedlots had no interest in buying. And certain farmers, for whatever reason, needed to move some livestock. So I would call that an aberration at this stage. I mean, in actual fact, we've come out at the start of this year in a much more positive way. So let's start with wiener sales in southern Australia. And they've been going on now where in my part of the world, in Barnawatha, Wangaratta, they opened up this week very positively, in particular for Angus wieners. And the pricing there so far has been around about 350 considerably better than what it, well, up slightly, you might say, before Christmas. And the interest has come out of central New South Wales on from restockers, and interestingly, also from Bullock Fatness, prices were anywhere for Angus feeders at around 340 to 360, 370 over the last few days. And these numbers, any about 22,000 have been on offer, which is a high number across these local yards. Right. So we're seeing a bit of positivity and confidence come back into the market? I think so. Also, in the north of Australia this week, feeder steer prices are also looking pretty good in southeast Queensland. So pricing today up there is about 330 to 335 on Angus feeders. 
in southeast Queensland. Crossbred fruit feeders about 3.15 to 3.30 and Brahmins at 2.70. Across the board, they're up about 10 cents a kilo since the week before Christmas. So what would you say is driving these price increases? It's definitely the rain, of course, Annie. I mean, we've had extraordinary um, weather conditions across southeast Queensland, New South Wales, and to a, a lesser extent, but um, in parts of Victoria as well. And part of it too is one, you know, it's grass driven, but two, the difficulty of getting animals to market, um, you know, in some of these flood, um, flood areas. So it's a bit of a combination, but I think it's definitely a grass-driven market. And I think there's a really important footnote to add to this, is that these markets, I think, for the next six months will be um, play a, you know, a supply or lack of supply will drive it. But by mid-year, Annie, we need global markets to be firing. And to date, they haven't. They've been lacklustre, they've been very slow, and we need global markets really to start to get going. So tell us a bit about what's happening overseas with these global markets then and, and why they are so lacklustre. Well, we've continued to have high you know, inventories, um, frozen stocks throughout the world and in particular in Asia. So Japan, I mean, the good news is they've come off from the highs of 160 to 165,000 metric tonnes in store each month to down to 150. But still, these are really high numbers, Annie. And we continue to see in China record highs in terms of inventory, sitting at three to three and a half times the normal amount and has sat there at these same levels for 12 months. Up until late November, the figures showed us almost 12 months of these continued high inventories within China itself. The belief is that we're going to see good rain for January, February, March on the eastern seaboard. Possibly a dry period late March, April, May, but then we're going to potentially be flipping into a La Nina which will bring more rain for the back end of 2024 and into 2025. So overall, a wet year. I think, Annie, we're going to see prices lift across every category this year. Be interesting to see if he's right. Cattle market analyst Simon Quilty speaking there to Annie Brown about the cattle market, expecting it to, to lift into the new year. There you go. Uh, and we're getting quite a lot of uh, texts uh, uh, around the issue of the bomb and the predictions El Nino and those sorts of things. We'll try and get to them a little bit later on in the program. And, of course, we'll have the weather details coming up as well. But before we do anything else, we'll uh, get some news headlines now from Adam Story. Good afternoon. Afternoon. Uh, the federal government uh, says it is monitoring the current wave of COVID that's uh, sweeping across the country. Uh, there has been an uptick in cases and people being admitted to hospital, uh, but apparently the level of severe illness and uh, death is significantly lower uh, than at this time last year. And this is the JN1 strain uh, that we're talking about. Uh, 
So uh, it's uh, not in. Uh, they're saying it's not any different in terms of uh, transmissibility either. You can easily get it, right? Uh, but we're not going into lockdown or anything like that. And it doesn't seem stage. to be bringing as much severe illness. And yeah, it, not as intense. Uh, maybe people are particularly sort of if you've got the jab, getting ex- exposed to it a bit. Yeah, and yep. the jab as well. Yeah, yeah. the jab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a two hundred thousand dollar rewards on offer to. Uh, uh, for the arrest of one of Australia's most wanted men, uh, James Dullamangus, uh, fled Australia for Greece after killing a man at a Belmore nightclub on Anzac Day 1999. Now, they believe he's in Greece, but the Greek statute of limitations comes into force in April. It actually happens on Anzac Day. So they're offering this $200,000 reward because they believe there's people in Greece who know where the man is and may be interested in that two hundred grand for uh, giving a few... Uh, <laughs> a few tips. A few tips. Uh, rent rises in Australia's capitals are uh, on the up, as uh, expected, with unit rents particularly rising. The average cost of renting a house in Sydney is now $750 a week. That's $200, million, uh, sorry, $200 more than uh, Melbourne. Uh, the house rents are up around 13%, uh, but unit rents have risen the most. They're up to around 15 to 20%. Uh, Lithgow Council is planning a service for victims and friends and family and the first responders of that multi-vehicle crash that uh, happened in December. Uh, it resulted in the death of an 11-year-old girl and two men in their 40s. And the mayor, the mayor, mayor there, uh, mayor there, says it will be an opportunity for the community to come together. And United Airlines says bolts in need of additional tightening have been found during inspections of the Boeing 737 MAX 9s. This is the ones where the door flew off, which was found in someone's garden yesterday. Mm. Now, here, apparently, Bonza Airlines and um, Virgin, they operate 737s, but not the 9s. They've got right. the 8s and they've okay. got orders in for the 10s. Right. Uh, but they've uh, both airlines... I was wondering, I thought we yeah. did have some 9s around, but it doesn't seem... We don't, don't yeah. have that many. But they're all under inspection and they're not grounded as they are in the United States. But the 8s were the ones they had to have a reboot of the software because there was a problem with the software. So that was... Uh. That was <laughs> So, so digital. I, I seem to remember the yeah. digital and analog issues. <laughs> but this one, this is yeah. this is the old-fashioned bolt. Is the old that, bolt uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that wasn't yeah, actually yeah. wasn't tightened up properly. Yeah, which you need the bolt tightener. Mm, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. which is probably yeah. a, a, a human issue as I opposed to a so. software issue. So this is why you need uh, AI building these things. Really? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. I would they, like to know if anything I fly in is AI build, by the way. And and whether or not the bolts are tightened. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'll be just staying on the ground for a little while anyway. <laughs> yeah, I've had my right. holiday. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're, you're not going anywhere for a while. No. All right. Okay, thanks, Adam. Adam's story will be back at 1 o'clock. It's uh, coming up to uh, 25 minutes to 1. Well, let's find out what's happening with the weather details. You on Parks at the Bureau. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mark. So we we are still seeing some showers around the place, and they've sort of moved out of the uh, the Central West Riverina area, and they're sort of heading heading north. Is that right? Uh, yes, they're heading to the northeast, and uh, but on the other hand, the remainder of the eastern part of the state still will still remain uh, wet because of uh, lingering showers or maybe a thunderstorm or two. Uh, but the main focus areas, as you said, will be in the state's northeast, where we may see a um, bit more rainfall, um, maybe 
uh, look, uh, maybe moderate in many places and possibly uh, reaching locally heavy falls with the risk of flash flooding uh, in part of the northeast today. And at this moment, as I'm speaking now, we are seeing some showers and storms still uh, being active in the northeast. And some of them already have delivered some moderate falls in parts of uh, the Hunter. And uh, perhaps this afternoon, depending on the growth of the storms, we may end up issuing the severe thunderstorms warning in some parts of the northeast coast of the state. So watch this space. And it looks like uh, similar conditions will remain uh, in the northeast tomorrow as well um, because of the lingering trough in the region. Right, okay. So, and there is, uh, so this system is then moving where? What's likely to happen with the system over the next few days? Yes, uh, well, with this uh, uh, trough uh, lingering in the northeast, uh, yes, that's where the uh, the weather will be, and then uh, this trough will be weakening and while heading west, that means uh, during the latter part of the weekdays, we will see that the focus of area will be shifting to the western part of, of the state, but probably still remaining showery and, uh, uh, and showers and storms, not rain. So uh, perhaps uh, not much rainfall, you know, still lo- locally moderate rainfall possible, but not really widespread uh, as such. And then Perhaps um, during the weekend, uh, maybe we may see another trough uh, brushing the coast uh, while delivering um, the return to showery conditions in the south. Uh, and before easterly development early new week may deliver widespread moderate to heavy falls in some part of the east. Uh, but at this moment, there's a big uncertainty about the next week's system. So watch this space. Yeah, I mean, we're hearing reports from some people, forecasters saying there could be a big dump rain coming but uh that's still uncertain is it so it's, it's still it's still no no certainty that that is what gonna, what's going to happen uh, that's right yes big uncertainties because i mean to give you an example um well yesterday we had a dump of you know more than 150 millimeters rainfall around the Mawilumba, but none of the computer models actually handled this properly and so we had to rely on so-called nowcast or you know storm warnings. And yeah, oh, we, we were talking to the bureau about it at the time, and they were yeah. saying that the uh, f- there were none of the computer models were predicting it until the, the rain event actually started to happen. Yeah, that's right. And uh, this is when uh, we have plenty of moisture and driven by you know localized convections, and that's when the computer models. Uh, struggle and in that cases you know local dump of heavy rainfall is quite possible but on the other hand exactly where and when and how much it is really challenging and they probably wouldn't have a clue or not until the actual development of the storms but on the other hand that plenty of moisture is still you know prevailing in the northeast coast of the state so you know we have to be vigilant and watch the weather yeah and i guess the thing is that at this time of the year quite often you do see a predominance of moisture it's just uh, one of those things that uh, we do see in summertime from time to time. That's right, yes. And also, you know, currently we are seeing the whole weather pattern across the New South Wales and southeastern Queensland dominated by southern annular mode. That is actually beating El Nino and dumping all this moisture and rainfall. So we actually expect wetter than average conditions for January throughout, by the way. You are expecting what for January? Uh, Yes, it's through the January, yes, wetter than average. Wetter than average, okay, so that's sort of the latest sort of intelligence on that, yeah, yeah. uh, We were talking to Carl Braganza about that a bit earlier on the program. Um, Okay, Juan, thanks for that. I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with Thanks for your time on the program today.
My pleasure. It's uh, coming up to 20 minutes to one. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. And we got a text in from Angus at Gadooga. He says, 197 millimetres since November uh, between Brewarrina and Gadooga. He says, uh, in support of the bomb, all its bases on probability in a highly variable climate, climate on the driest continent. He says, uh, people are trying to conduct European-style agricultural activities in the face of uh, what uh, is uh, pretty much a variable change in climate, according to Angus. Someone else has texted in saying, what about the idea of uh, cloud seeding? Um, other people are saying that there are independent weather sites on the internet which can give alternative predictions or alternative ideas about what's going to happen and real-time detailed reporting in addition to the bomb, that one from Dave in Trundle. It's uh, coming up to uh, 19 minutes to one here on the New South Wales Country Hour. Well, still with weather issues and Victoria's stone fruit harvest has taken quite a battering during this week's heavy rain. About 30% of Australia's stone fruit is grown in the Swan Hill region in northern Victoria, where heavy rain over the weekend has left the fruit damaged and orchards Standing in water, Summer Fruits Australia Chairman and Swan Hill Summer Fruits Association representative Dean Morpeth says between 20 and 40% of the fruit in that area was still on the tree and now it's unlikely to reach the premium markets. Well, since Christmas Eve, um, so speaking locally from Swan Hill Summer Fruits, our region's been uh, very, very affected. It's been an amazing weather pattern with rain and storms like we haven't seen for quite some time or ever. And, yeah, no, lots of farmers have been affected. What does it mean for the fruit when that kind of uh, rain comes through? There's been multiple. So there's been hail, which has affected, you know, dropping it out of first class or, or export quality into class two or waste. And um, and now the weather, it just, just puts too much pressure on the fruit and the nitrogen in the rain. And uh, we see a lot of fruit drop, affects the skin, just increases the the waste. So what what can people expect if they're going to the supermarket looking for stone fruit at the moment? <laughs> it's a great question. Let's be fair, I don't really don't know what the outcome's going to be. The worst of it's just been the last 24 hours. Hail, you can deal with. You know, you, you grade it out. Yes, you lose income. Um, it makes it difficult at the packing shed. But the last 24 hours for our region, Warrenine's been the, the, the tough one. Warrenine, Lake Boga, Tresco, further north to Goodnight, Tullybuck. Yeah, it's been major downfalls and we're not sure what that's going to mean for the rest of the season. Could it be the end of the season for for that area? I like to think I'm a fairly positive and realistic person and we have to let it settle and and see. Something might be salvageable. Well, there's major flooding at the moment. There's Everyone's trees are probably underwater a bit and there's water running across roads and we just need to let it settle and water to dissipate a bit and then we can assess what that really means for our growers. And what does it mean, so if a fruit's been downgraded from export quality to class two, what kind of effect does that have in terms of income for a grower? You'd be dropping a dollar fifty a kilo, dollar a kilo more, plus the waste. It'll be significant, significant. And then the, the shame is there's nothing wrong with the fruit. It's just the, it's the perception. And, and I get it. We're, we're a country that's spoiled for choice of some magnificent different fruit types that but unfortunately, people purchase with their eyes and they don't like to see that. And what about the, the waste? What happens to that? Uh, in our industry currently, it um, mainly goes out to, to different 
companies that have cattle or goats, sheep, etc. for feed. It's just, it's a zero income. It's waste. It's, yeah. Wurneen grower Peter Thornton says she had a good run with her stone fruit crops until Christmas. She managed to get about half of them harvested. But since Christmas, she's had a couple of large storms come over her property. She's had hail damage to some of her crops. And she now has orchards sitting in water after more than 100 millimetres of rain on Sunday and Monday. Whilst we're lucky to have drainage um, under a lot of the Warrenine Irrigation District, it's only, you know, really set up to cope with a certain amount of rain. So in most, you know, downpours like we had yesterday and and consecutive over, you know, a number of wet weeks, um, most of the drains don't, you know, have adequate capacity to manage that sort of water. So, yeah, we were certainly setting up pumps on one large patch of trees where water was sitting in a large area because... If the water sits, um, if the water trees sit in water for a longer period than a couple of days, it can certainly kill them. So yeah, people were madly setting up pumps and, and trying to just remove the water off um, off their orchards. So um, you know, other other effects. Uh, if you've got crops on, you'll often find that um, fruit will pop pop off the trees. So you'll find a, a large amount of fruit dropped. And then um, it can send fruit spongy. It can also take some of the sweetness out of the fruit. So, yeah, it does have a, a big impact. Stone fruit is certainly a bit of a, um, a quite a challenging crop to grow and, and weather has a huge impact. And in terms of for a consumer, if they're going to the supermarket, what do you think they should be expecting if they're looking for stone fruit? Is it just going to be a bit less fruit available potentially over the next couple of weeks? We're going to still have a lot of beautiful fruit to, to um, send to the market. I'd imagine that there there will be a, an impact. Um, there might not be quite as much fruit, um, but I think that there's still going to be a pretty steady supply. We've got a lot of stone fruit here, um, certainly being produced in Victoria, and I, I think that there's still going to be plenty of stone fruit on the shelves. That's Warrenine grower Peter Thornton ending that report from Elsie Kennedy. It's uh, 14 to 1. You're listening to The Country Hour. On ABC Radio, New South Wales. One of the world's most prestigious young thoroughbred sales has just kicked off. The annual Magic Millions Gold Coast Yearling Sale has drawn a catalogue of almost 1,500 horses to be auctioned over the next week to buyers here and around the world. And, of course, the nation's horse capital, Scone, is well represented. Our Upper Hunter reporter, Amelia Bernasconi, has been watching with keen interest and joins us now. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So a lot of uh, Upper Hunter horses in the, in the running, so to speak. Oh. It wouldn't be the Magic Millions yearling sale on the Gold Coast without um, a good contingent of upper hunter horses. And um, already things have kicked off pretty well. We've seen action up on the Gold Coast, though, for the past week. There have been you know, parades, inspections, lots of racing and, and even an awards night thrown into the mix. But now we get on to the business. So like you said, nearly 1,500 horses. It's actually the biggest catalogue that Magic Millions have offered uh, at this prestigious sale. There's um, 26 first season sires um, that have progeny among the mix. So that's always an interesting one to watch as well. Uh, And like you said, you know, always ties back to the upper hunter. Um, Looking at last year and a few records for you, uh, we saw 
a 15-year-old Magic Millions record broken three times last year within the space of 48 hours, and you can bet your bottom dollar that was done all three times by upper hunter-bred horses. So, Of course, um, yeah. <laughs> going into this year, Sedge and Ho Stud, um, a cult that they sold last year, still holds that record of $2.7 million is um, the most expensive yearling sold through this sale, and that was a cult um, by I'm Invincible and out of Anaheed. So... As you'd imagine, I'm Invincible is getting um, you know a lot of attention again this year, an incredible stallion there. So after that 2.7 million sale of last year, there's lots of interest coming into 2024. Um, of course, all these horses that are sold through the Magic Millions yearling sale can then go on. They're eligible for Magic Millions specific races and um, the culmination of them is now worth more than $20 million. So with all that in mind, there's plenty of domestic interest and uh, global interest, of course, which keeps growing. So I know that no one has a crystal ball, but I did speak earlier with Magic Millions Managing Director Barry Bowditch to get his thoughts. We've got buyers from um, all over the world, whether it be America, um, you know, Europe, the UK, all over Asia, Japan, China, Hong Kong, um, New Zealand, a uh, little bit of interest from the Middle East and obviously a huge domestic market. So I think, you know, it's, it's an event, it's a festival. I think, uh, you know, whether you're a, a horse seller, a horse buyer or just a horse enthusiast, I think... Uh, you know, it's on everyone's calendar these days to come into the Gold Coast and obviously enjoy Queensland and, and enjoy, you know, all, all the events that, that, that Magic Means has to offer. Now, out of these nearly 1,500 lots, Barry, who do you have your eye on? Where do you think there might be a bit of value to be found or um, some records potentially to fall? Oh, it's a good question. Obviously, I think uh, I think you know it's a it's a very even group of horses. We've got some you know outstanding horses in the sale. I think you know lots to look out for. You know that could you know obviously make headlines. Uh, um, you know, I'm Invincible is always a stain that always has horses up the top of the top of the tree. And I think they've got there's lot nineteen a cult out of Palace Talk, and there's lot three fifty a a cult out of uh, Warranty from Sedge and Host Stud. They're two to kick off with, but I think all in all there'll be there'll be many highlight lots. But obviously, I think we've got to. When we go to big catalogue of over 1,400 horses, I think there's going to be a lot of value to be found at all angles. So whether you've got a small budget, a big budget, or you're looking to just take a share in a horse, I think it's a, it's a great time to get involved in our industry. And, uh, and I think we've got the catalogue that will serve the buyers very, very well. That's Magic Millions Managing Director Barry Bowditch uh, and uh, our reporter Amelia Bernasconi. Uh, so in terms of the sales today, what have we seen? Well, that lot 19 that you just heard Barry mention, it literally sold minutes ago and I can tell you it is leading the pack as far as today goes. We're only up to about lot 22, I think, now and um, that I'm Invincible Palace Talk uh, cult went for $1.3 million. The opening bids started at half a million uh, and just went up and up from there. So I'm sure we'll see big things to come from that horse in the future. Um, that was a, a, from Yarraman Park here in the Hunter. They also did well um, a few lots earlier with an I'm Invincible Outback Barbie Philly, which went for 1.2. So they're the two that we've seen so far crack over the million dollar mark. It is called the Magic Millions for a reason, but um, <laughs> plenty of good sales uh, going on so far. And of course, this is just day one of a week-long affair. So um, last year, I think the sale grossed more than 200, let me check my notes, 243.3 was the 2023 gross. So we'll um, see how everything shapes up this year, of course, accounting for that bigger catalogue. Um, lots going from the Hunter and I'm sure plenty coming back here as well. And big money at stake as well. Amelia, mm -hmm. thanks for that. 
Thank you. It's uh, coming up to uh, eight minutes to one here on the New South Wales Country Hour. Well, uh, just uh, news uh, to hand uh, just recently about Riverina Winery Warburn Estate. It's been purchased by a Griffith-based family that has until uh, now specialised in fruit juice. The Taliano family uh, is behind the Real Juice Company. They're going to take ownership of Warburn's estate's assets from March, uh, featuring a uh, new company called uh, Meditrina Beverages. And the president of the Riverina Winemakers Association, Andrew Calabria, uh, says that the sale marks a new chapter in the region's wine history with the exit of the well-known Sergi family. So we'll be uh, watching that story with interest as well. It's uh, time for markets. First up, let's go to Wodonga Cattle. Good afternoon. The latest auction at Wodonga, 880 cattle were bought to the yards, marking the first sale following the Blue Ribbon Wiener sales. The sale drew a large group of bot processors, all actively participating in the show. Notably, European Vealers stole the spotlight, witnessing a significant price surge of 57 cents for the top tier calves. The majority of sales ranged from 237 to 326. While trade cattle exhibited mixed trends, there was an overall improvement of 50 cents for both heifers and steers. The predominant range for these trades were 232 to 299. Feeder steers were limited in supply, commanding prices ranging from 270 to 280 for well-bred stock. In the export category, prices experienced gains ranging from 40 cents to 70 cents. It's essential to note that pre-Christmas sale featured a minimal number of buyers contributing to some distortion in the price landscape. Moving on to the cow market, robust gains of 50 to 70 cents were observed with heavy cows fetching prices from 230 to 250 bulls reached a top of 232 i'm leanne ducks for mla let's go to forbes sheep and lambs now good afternoon the first sale for 2024 saw agents yard 24,300 head it was just under 19 and a half thousand lambs panned and quality continues to be mixed with some good numbers of trade and heavyweight lambs panned along with those few plainer types all the usual buyers are present and competing in a market that was significantly dearer than the previous sale held last year and one that has followed this week's upward trend old trade weight lambs sold 20 to 24 kilos selling from 187 to $213 a head. Heavyweight lambs to 26 kilos ranged in price from 181 to $233 a head. Extra heavyweights over 26 kilos ranged in price from 184 to a top of $266 a head. Carcass prices averaged from 778 to 850 cents a kilo. The balance of the lambs and 4,850 head of mutton are still to be sold. This has been Crystal Ridley at Forbes from LA. Let's go to Carcore Cattle now, Angus Williams. The first sale back for the year saw a yarding of 571. It was good quality yarding with good rain over the break lifting quality and prices. There were good numbers of young cattle on offer for feeders and processors, limited numbers of, numbers of grown steers and heifers, and good number of cows. Most of the usual buyers were present and competing in a solid market. Young cattle to the processors were 20 cents dearer with prime yearlings selling from 268 to 327. Feeder steers were 25 cents dearer selling from 250 to 340, while feeder heifers were up to 30 cents dearer selling from 240 to 320. Grown steers and heifers were substantially dearer compared to the much cheaper pre-Christmas sale with prime grown steers selling from 250 to 287 
and prime grown heifers selling from 245 to 280. Cows were also substantially dearer, with two and three scores selling from 120 to 210, and prime heavyweight cows sold from 210 to 241. Heavy bulls sold to 215. This has been Angus Williams for MLA at CTLX. Two Gunnar cattle now. Good afternoon. A bit of rain, a bit of feed and a wait-and-see attitude saw a very small panning of just 311 head. Young cattle for the most part. Quality was very mixed. The usual processes in attendance, not all getting a start though. Restockers and feedlots buying most of the young cattle. The market started the year on a bright note with most categories comparing favourably to the pre-Christmas levels. The dramatic fall in numbers affecting average prices. Lightweight yearling steers to restockers posted strong gains, 280 to 360 cents a kilo. Medium and heavyweight feeders, 280 to 328. Lightweight yearling heifers, 240 to 299. Medium weight feeder heifers were slightly dearer, 266 to 316 cents. Cows were dearer with medium weight two and three scores, 170 to 215. The heavy four scores sold from 215 to 230 cents a kilo. James Armitage for MLA in Canada. Let's go to Inverell cattle now, Stephen Adams. Good afternoon. Inverell penned 698 head, down 1,065. Young cattle provided in the bulk. Stronger trends prevailing from feeder and background activity. Export competition strong with a solid rise in cows. Wiener steers and the heifers dearer, 21 cents a kilo. The steers, heifers 308 to 322 from restockers. Light background steers to 17 cents better, 220 to 302. Feeders 30 to 45 cents better, topping at 380. Medium feeders 288 to 334. Heifers to improve trends 17, uh, 17 to 21 cents better, and backgrounders making 316. Medium feeders 306. Heavy steers to process dearer 285. Similar heifers making 272. Brown steers sold to 270. Heifers dearer 238 to 255. Medium cows 29 cents better 158 to 218. Heavy cows 24 better. 230 to 243. Stephen Adams, MLA at Inverell. Let's go to Scone Cattle now and Angus Barlow. Good afternoon. Scone agents ease their way back into the new year with a yarding of 390 cattle, small lots of steer and heifer wieners dominating. Quality was mixed. A big local crowd of onlookers on hand. Whilst not all the regular buyers were in attendance, market trend on the whole was of a positive nature. Light restocker steer wieners, 230 to 348 to be $0.40 cents dearer. Heifer counterparts, similar rises, 240 to 3.12. Light and medium weight yielding steers to restock and feed dearer sentiments of 6 to 17 cents, 240 to 3.38. Heifer yearlings destined the same way, gains of 3 to 17 cents, 240 to 304. A handful of prime yearlings with yield to the local butchers made from 290 to 306. Too few cows to get a reliable quote, two scores anywhere from 120 to 210. Better covered three and four scores, 210 to a top of 230 cents. Angus Barlow for MLA at Scone. You've been listening to the New South Wales Country Hour and a reminder that uh, we were just uh, talking earlier in the program about uh, the amount of rainfall and uh, quite a few people have texted in. Uh, some people were in the Riverina uh, up to 150 millimetres or so and, uh, of course, a reminder, you can always send us a text. We're keen to hear from you. Lots and lots of texts today uh, on the program. Uh, we weren't uh, able to get to them all, so uh, a reminder, you can uh, uh, t- take the number and uh, get on to us early, early on and it's uh, the number to text us is zero four six seven. Nine double two six eight four. That's the number to text us here at the Country Hour. We're heading up to news time now, and it's heading up to one o'clock.
On the Country Hour, it's news time and one o'clock.